Father, thank you that you are here with us, that you lead us and guide us and teach us. Father, I pray that your voice would be heard tonight, that despite my voice, or using my voice, or ignoring my voice, that your voice would be heard, that your people who you are calling to yourself, that they would know you and hear you and be encouraged by what they hear. Help us as we bring you our worship and our praise. Thank you for being our God. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going through the book of James, and uh, tonight we're at James chapter 4, verse 11 through 17. So let me read that for you. James 4, 11 through 17 reads as follows. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I uh, I got angry with the village last week. I'm a crotchety old man. I'm the elder. Eric reminded me earlier tonight that I'm the elderly elder. I confess I got angry, really angry. We've been speaking through this book of James, and from Eric's very first sermon through all the sermons, there's been one clear dominant theme that he talked about earlier tonight, and that's the theme of servanthood. James starts by telling us that he is a servant of God and in this book, and he reminds us over and over again throughout it that our calling is to be servants of God. We're not to be in charge. We're not the bosses. We don't get to do what we want. We're invited to serve in the upside-down kingdom of God where love rules, where grace and mercy is offered. And so I got upset. I got angry, and I got angry at you. You'll have to forgive me. I'm a grumpy old man. Let me tell you why I was angry. You see, last week, Eric was really, really busy. Did you notice that? Did you notice how busy he was? Did you notice that he was kind of overwhelmed? Do you remember um, that he apologized somewhere in the middle of his sermon for being a little haphazard and non sequitur and not being organized? 
He was kind of skipping around, he said, forgetting what point he was making. The truth is, he was a bit frazzled. He was trying to help us. He had thought earlier and told us that he wasn't going to order pizza anymore <laughs> because pizza is kind of expensive and he wanted to be a good steward of the money that God gives us. So he cooked beans and rice for us last week. For those of you who haven't cooked for 120 people, including 40 children, including a whole bunch of you who have really unique dietary expectations and requirements. It's a pretty big undertaking. It's a pretty big undertaking even if you just do beans and rice and salad. You have to go buy it. You have to buy all the ingredients. Do you have enough, enough beans, enough rice? enough lettuce, enough bread. Do you have a variety of dressings? To make sure you have plates and bowls and cutlery. You have to take all this and put it together and time it properly. The people who cook for us here at this church serve God in beautiful ways. We should always be grateful to them. If you're in uh, inclined to complain, <laughs> just grab that list when it goes around and sign your name up to cook sometime so you can experience all that's required. Anyway, Eric cooked last week. It was an act of servanthood. Thank you, Eric. He also played guitar in the band. <laughs> he played on all the opening songs. He writes songs, a lot of songs, and he plays guitar. It's an act of love for him, love for you, love for God. His songs and the songs of our various bands help us all to worship God, to learn God's ways. I am so grateful that God has surrounded us with skilled musicians. Thank you, musicians, all of you. Thank you, Eric for sharing your talent and gift with us. It's, a, it's an act of servanthood. Did you notice last week that right after he played, he came running up and walked us through all the announcements like he always does, and he led the kids and all of us in the Lord's Prayer, and, and then he preached a sermon. <laughs> Writing and delivering a sermon is no easy task. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. It requires a lot of study. It requires a lot of prayer. It requires knowing you, all of you, and what you require, what you need. It requires communicating clearly and offering all of you grace. And Eric did all that. He preached for us. And then he quick ran out to stir the rice and get the place set up out there so we could all eat. Thanks, Eric, for sharing God's word with us. For cooking for us. For writing and playing music for us. For counseling us and leading us, 
teaching us. Thank you. But I was mad at you all. <laughs> Remember that I said I was mad at you? I was mad because after you all leave on Sunday evenings, Eric and I often sit here and chat late into the evening, late into the night. We talk about how things went and how things are going and what's going on in our lives. And it's a sweet time. Last Sunday we talked like we always do. We sat and talked for a while and then we started turning off the air conditioners. Aren't they awesome? We locked the doors, turned off the monitors, closed down the sound system, shut off the lights, started cleaning up the communion table here. And I started bringing the stuff from the communion table from the living room into the kitchen, and there was Eric. He was washing dishes. He was washing all the dishes after having cooked the meal, after having played in the band, after having preached a sermon, after having to go through the whole process of closing down the building at 10.30 at night. He was washing the dishes because he's a servant. So I was mad at you. Mad because none of you had stayed and cleaned up the mess. Mad because not one of the hundred people who ate dinner bothered to go clean up the mess. I was mad. I was really mad. And I was planning on really letting you have it tonight. Are you feeling a little squirmy? See, I have all sorts of expectations and requirements of you. I have rules that you should follow. I think you should all be grateful and you should express your gratitude by washing dishes for Eric whenever he cooks. Or, frankly, for anyone who cooks. Even me, when I cook. See, it's just wrong to have to wash dishes after you And frankly, I'm not really interested in your excuses. I, I don't want to hear that you had to get your kids home to bed, because so does Eric. I, I don't want to hear that you have to get up early and go to work. We have a 7 o'clock meeting tomorrow morning. We have to get up early. Eric does too. I don't care if you were having deep, wonderful, spiritual conversations with hurting people. So was Eric. I don't care if you think you're too old or think you serve in other ways or that you had a really bad hair night. So did Eric. <laughs> Eric always has a bad hair night. <laughs> I was thinking all that stuff as I watched Eric wash the dishes. And that's when God did what God does. God reminded me that I was his servant. God reminded me that at any point during last Sunday evening, I could have gotten up from my chair and gone and washed the dishes. I could have done that. I could have told, uh, let's see, it was Mark and Michael, we were talking over here about marriage, right? That was a really deep, wonderful conversation. I could have said, 
Michael, Mark, excuse me, I gotta go wash the dishes. I could have just gone into the kitchen and cleaned up the mess. I could have expressed my gratitude to God for the meal that he gave me by washing up the dishes. I could have been a servant. I could have gone and washed the dishes, but I didn't because I was busy. I was busy talking. I was talking about really important things. Also, my shoulder hurts. I mean, it really hurts. I, I got a torn muscle or something. Something's torn away from someone. I went to a surgeon, and they're supposed to go in at some point when I can't stand the pain anymore, and they're going to fix it. And, you know, when you have to lift those big old pots and pans, like, that's hard for me. So I have a good excuse, unlike your excuses. And besides that, I kind of like doing dishes. But back, I mean, I didn't when I was a kid, but, but back in the day, back when we were kids, um, we would all have to do dishes. My mom had a rule, if you didn't do the dishes, then you didn't get to eat the next meal, which was kind of a harsh rule. And the only way you could get out of it is if you were really sick, which means you had to have a temperature and it had to be measurable. You know, you couldn't just say, I feel sick. I would sometimes sneak off to the bathroom because you could hide in the bathroom for a while and hopefully they'd be done by the time you got back, but not with my mom. She would just wait until you got out of the bathroom and then she'd start doing dishes. So that never worked. We didn't have dishwashers back there, back then. We didn't just have to load up a dishwasher. We, we actually stood around with towels and dishcloths and soap and hot water and, and did everything by hand, um, which I'm sure was unsanitary and probably killed us all early, but, and not the proper way. But, but anyway, that's what we did. And, and I liked it because we would sing while we did it. My mom would have us sing all these old cowboy songs, all these old hymns, all these old, I don't know, hillbilly songs that all of you judge me for. Um, so I actually enjoy it. But, but it's hard for me to wash dishes. I, I have more important things to do. I have things I really like to do. I, I like to engage people. I, I like to spend time with them. I, I like to sit in the chair over there and have people come and, I don't know, do what they do. I thought I deserved to be excused from dishwashing duty. In this passage, James reminds us that we are servants and not masters. <laughs> and he does that by reminding us that we're not permitted to judge others. Jesus comes to us, and by laying down his life for us, he institutes the law of love. And we are not loving people when we are judging them. So here's my confession. I was not loving you when I made assumptions about you. I was judging you. I was assuming things about you. Things that cast you in a bad light. Things that assumed things about your character. I thought, you're all lazy, you're all self-serving, 
You're all involved in your own lives and don't give a hoot about anyone else. You only care about your own selves. Those are all judgments. Horrible, sick, twisted judgments. I was not only judging you, I, I was judging the law under which God calls us to live. God's, God has house rules. <laughs> he has one house rule, and it's the law of love. My, uh, my kids had to come to understand that there were house rules in the various houses that you went to, like when you were a kid. So at Grandpa Ralph and Grandma Nita's house, one of the house, the house rules were one set of rules, and at Grandpa Herm and Grandma Bernice's house, there was another set of rules, and at our house, there was a, another set of rules, and Justin was trying to sort this out when he was a little kid, and he said, like, how come I can eat in the living room at Grandma Nita's house, but Grandma Bernice spanks me if I eat in the living room, I have to eat in the kitchen? He was confused, and, and I said, well, that's because there are house rules. Grandmas have house rules. Grandpas, grandpas and grandmas own their houses, and they can make whatever rules they want for their house. So Justin was smart, and he said, so, Dad, who owns our house? And I said, your mother and me. And then I joked a little bit and said, and the bank. And he said, do you think I could go talk to the bank? Because he wants to negotiate the house rules. He doesn't like the house rules. He wants to change the house rules. He wants the house rules to fit him. God's house rule is to live out the law of love. And the law of love tells me that I'm not permitted to assume bad things about you. I'm not to assume motives for you. The law of love calls me to serve out of the sheer joy of being a servant of the Most High God. So instead of serving you and Eric, I was busy judging you by the law of Rod. Which is not anything at all like the law of God. Rod's law is not the law of love. It isn't generous or merciful or gracious or kind. It is brutal and mean. It substitutes evil for love. It denies that the one true God who established his law is the only rightful judge of what is good and what is evil. He is the only one who can save or destroy and has the right to do that. Rod's law only destroys. God's law of love saves. It's a beautiful thing. So how do you live out this law of love? Well, there's a couple things to do. First of all, to avoid this problem that I have and had, never assume motives. Never, ever, ever assume motives. We do that all the time. That person hates me. I can tell. Or maybe they're just having a bad day and didn't even see you as they walked by. She doesn't talk to me anymore, therefore, she must have a problem with me. Did you notice how he never invites me to do anything? Just other people? We make it about us, and we assume that they have motives. It must be because they don't like us. It must be because 
they're sick and twisted. There must be because they have something evil about them. Never assume motives. If you wonder what people are thinking about you, ask them. Talk to them. And you say, yeah, but they're lying. (laughs) No. But that's what we do, right? What they really meant was, that's not servanthood. That's judging, and you don't get to do it. Also, never assume that you are the sole possessor of truth. See, I know that the only way to express gratitude to Eric for what he offers this church is to do the dishes on Sunday night when he cooks. I know that for a fact, right? I am the possessor of truth. If you don't believe me, ask me and I will tell you. All of us assume that we have some corner on truth, that we have special knowledge. Stop it. Thirdly, make rules for yourself and not for others. Make rules for yourself, not others. Rod, the rule is when you see... Eric cooking a meal, your job is to go and wash the dishes to honor him, to show your gratitude. That's a great rule. I can have that rule. You know, I didn't wash the dishes. I watched him do it, right? 10.30 at night, he's over there just trying to scrub a pan, and I'm like, I'm thinking, oh, okay, I'm helping. I'm, uh, oh, I brought in the, uh, the glasses with the leftover juice and so I did something right I I helped (laughs) see I can make a rule for myself you can make a rule for yourself and you should and you can and you may don't make them for other people don't make the rule that you live by the standard by which people must live The standard by which people are called to live in the kingdom of God is to live out the law of love, to be loving towards Eric, to be loving towards each other, to be loving towards me when I'm yelling at you because I'm mad at you, to be loving at you, to be loving. That's what we're called to do. Make whatever rules you want for yourself. Do not enforce them on others. God doesn't give you permission to do that. James reminds us of that. He said, when we did that, what I did last week was that I spoke evil of you and that that's arrogant. It made me the master and you all servants. I put myself over you. When we speak as elders in the collective, we are speaking from the role of servant, not from the role of dominant king. We don't order you to do horrible things to please us. We have to live out the law of love as elders, as leaders, to love you, to remember our place, and you all 
remember your place. James then shows us another way in which we are arrogant. We believe that we are in control, that we're in control of our lives. Jesus, as our master, holds our lives in his hands. Fifteen years ago today, people boarded airplanes or drove to their job at the World Trade Center and they assumed they knew how their day would go. But they were wrong. Their lives were snuffed out or forever changed. James reminds us that our lives are vapor, smoke, mist, vapor, seen for a moment and then slowly dissipating, and then we're done. Psalm 39, 4-6 says, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing... They are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. Two and a half years ago, my mom woke up in the morning. She headed for the bathroom, and she either fell and broke her hip or broke her hip and fell. No one knows. And it was the very last night that she ever slept in the house, in the bed that she and Dad bought back in December of 1960. Oh, she had plans for that day. (laughs) She was going to have lunch with someone. She was going to run by the drugstore and pick up some prescriptions. She never executed on those plans. Instead, firemen broke down the door and took her out of the house that she loved to the hospital. One day, life was the same. And the next day it wasn't. As servants, we're at the mercy of the master. Our lives are in God's hands. Notice that James, when he invites us to think about that, doesn't invite us into despair, into hopelessness. He doesn't tell us to don't even bother making plans. He he doesn't say, "Um, it's, it's hopeless. Because that's where our heads go. That's where our hearts go. No, no. instead he, he invites us to add a new phrase to our vocabulary. When I was younger, I wrote an article about Christian education for the Banner, which is the denominational magazine of the Christian Reformed Church. I was very excited to see it in print. It's always fun to be published to see your name there in black and white. It's kind of cool. It's not. It's still exciting on a computer screen, but there's something about the paper. It mattered. I don't know. Back then they didn't have screens, so that was the only way you saw it. It was very fun to be published. And I noticed as I read the article and saw the editorial changes that they had made that at the end of the article, at the very end, there were the lowercase initials D, V. D period, V period. 
Mrs. Gerson, my sixth grade teacher, had become the associate editor of the banner. That's why I got the writing gig, right? Uh, not because I was a great writer in those days, but because I knew Mrs. Grissom and she liked me. Um, I talked to her and I said, why does it say DV? What does that mean? I thought maybe it was the editor's initials or something. She told me it was an abbreviation for the Latin phrase Deo Volente. Deo Volente, meaning God willing. The assumption was that what I had written was true if God so willed. God willing. phrase that we're supposed to remember and to repeat to ourselves is DV, Deo Volente, God willing. Some of you know my response to the phrase, I'll see you later, the good Lord willing and the creek don't rise. <laughs> Ever say that? I'll see you later, good Lord willing and the creek don't rise. My response is always, if the good Lord is willing, it doesn't matter if the creek rises. It doesn't matter what the creek does. The creek doesn't matter at all. It's God's will. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, as a community, the hardest words we say there, and the words that ought to give you the most pause are, your will be done. Because in that moment, you submit to whatever God says. Whatever he wants for you, that's what you submit to. James tells us to stop pretending we're in control. Tells us to stop thinking that we get to decide how our days play out. It is arrogant to pretend that we can make our own way in this world. Frank Sinatra saying about doing it my way, but the truth is, we're at the mercy of the will of our Master and Lord Jesus. The invitation is to make your plans. Please go ahead and make your plans. And always place a little DV behind them. I'll go to work tomorrow and do my job, DV. <clears throat> I'm going to marry the love of my life, DV. I'm going to grow old with my spouse, DV. I'm going to wash the dishes after the meal tonight, <laughs> DV. <laughs> James 4 verse 10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That verse came right before the 11 through 17 that I've just been talking about. Humble yourselves. It is humbling to say, if God wills. Now I'm begging for all of you 
who are get now fixated on the DV phrase, I don't want you going around saying that all the time, because you'll just be annoying. <laughs> I don't want you to say God willing. I don't want you to do any of those things. I want you to think it. I want you to know it. I want you to know it down here. If God wills. If God wills. Because it puts you in that place of humbling yourself before God. When you are a servant of the God whose law is love, whose mechanisms of exercising that law are mercy and grace and tenderness, kindness, you cannot be in a better place. The passage ends with do good. If you know what good to do, do it. The law of love gives you great freedom. You are free to do whatever God puts in front of you to do. You can freely wash dishes and enjoy it. Or not. You are free, but if you see it and you think it's a good thing to do, do it. Do it. You don't have to ask permission. You don't have to ask permission to come and clean the building. You don't have to get permission to go and speak tenderly to someone who's hurting. You don't need permission. You're granted permission by the law of love. Live it out. Let's close in prayer. Father, I confess to you that my rules and my laws and my expectations and my requirements of others have placed burdens that were not from you. Thank you for forgiving me that sin. Thank you for loving us for giving us each other, to serve each other. Thank you for Jesus being the servant, the great servant, for coming not to just wash dishes, not to just wash feet, not to just serve, in this life, but to serve us by offering your life, Jesus, for all of us, for giving it away. Thank you, God, for the gift of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.